Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to Vibe. Today we are talking about what to eat, what to cook, what to shop for. If you are concerned that maybe you have a hormone imbalance issue, I'm bringing to you a guest who is a dear friend of mine. And I want to just point out that I cannot even count how many times I've had women tell me that they're actually really, really healthy. And then they want to tell me about how they're having hot flashes, uh, big ups and downs in their mood. Um, all kinds of symptoms that I'm going to let Magdalena take for you uh, and and sort of deconstruct this that are just because your friends are experiencing them, just because somebody, so your doctor may have told you this is typical for people in midlife, people heading into perimenopause, people heading into menopause, just because it's common doesn't mean that it is uh, normal or healthy. Luckily, there are lots of things that we can do. None of them are particularly hard. And that's where Magdalena comes in. She is the founder of the popular Hormones Balance online community. She's a holistic nutrition coach. And like so many other uh, folks that I've interviewed on this show, we talk about the wounded healer all the time, how it's not just their book learning. It's not just their, their degree and their advanced degree that made them an expert. Usually it's that they ended up on their knees with their own health issue. And Magdalena developed hyperthyroidism. And then it went to Hashimoto's kind of swinging to the two ends of the spectrum. She had adrenal fatigue. She was estrogen dominant. And she literally uh, crashed and burned and had to leave her very, very high pressure advertising career. And she had to find a completely different new way of eating so that so that she could stay healthy and head into middle age with her hormones working smoothly. And she's now symptom-free. I absolutely believe that this can happen. I too am 17 years Hashimoto's in remission. The way I eat and the way Magdalena eats is a little bit different in the sense that I only eat plants and she eats lots of plants and some animals too. I don't think that there's one right way to do it. Uh, she feels more strongly than I do. We can ask her about that, about the fact that she believes we do need some uh, meat in our diet. And I'm open to hearing about that. And she is going to share some some practical knowledge um, from her brand new book coming out called Cooking for Hormone Balance. So write that down if you're wondering what you should eat so that your thyroid, your estrogen, your progesterone, uh, all of these precursor upstream and downstream hormones work well together so that you're happy. So you're happy so that you're slim, so that you uh, are enjoying your life as you head into middle age when we are supposed to be the happiest of our life, right? So welcome to the Vibe Show, Magdalena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. It's such a, you've got such a great community. Yeah, we uh, talk about these issues a lot, but we don't usually get access to someone who's such a hormone expert. That's very, very uh, dialed in. We usually talk about the larger issues, but you're, you're coming out with this book. It's your first book. I know you've been absolutely deep in research and writing and drafting, and I'm so excited for this baby to be born. It's very unique. It's cooking for hormone balance. Who did you write this book for? Pretty much every woman, you know, um, if you think about it, whether it's, um, you know, whether we're going through PMS, we are PMSing or going through perimenopause or menopause or being in postmenopause, you know, it's all, those are all significant times of changes. And, 
every one of these this parts of our lives will have quite a massive hormonal, um, you know, hormonal issues going on. And I really, I don't know about you, but I really haven't met many women unless somebody who really works very diligently on her hormones. But I think most of us are compromised in some way or another. So, uh, you know, but in a nutshell, like to give it a name, um, it's for both women who have an intuition something is off, as well as women who have specifically been diagnosed, whether it's thyroid, um, adrenal exhaustion, P, um, you know, estrogen dominance, menopause, and I also cover PCOS in the book. Okay. So let's get into just the basics because some people are going to be a little incredulous. Like how is food going to rebalance my hormones? What do they have to do with each other? Yeah. So, you know, the premise of my book is, uh, is based on the idea that um, I use the analogy of a three-legged stool. If you want to sit comfortably on the stool that's got three legs, all the three legs need to be firm and of the same length, right? And stable in order for you to not to wobble or fall off. And how this translates to hormonal balance is the same thing. If you want to have a good hormonal balance, the three bodily systems that need to be in a really good shape um, is the health of your gut, is the balance of your sugar levels, and how effectively your uh, liver is detoxifying. So basically it's gut, sugar, and liver. Those are the three things. You know, and the amazing thing is when you fix those three things, uh, you work on them on a very, you know, um, intentional basis, then a lot of the stuff that we do, like for example, if I have hot flashes, I'll do, you know, black cohosh or I do this supplement or that supplement. You free yourself of all of those when you repair those three. And I see this over and over again, when you, lay the foundation for your hormonal balance, a lot of the stuff that you're doing is for specific conditions, for specific symptoms will then uh, vanish. And so this is just going to be examples. This is not an exhaustive um, answer by any means. And, um, and this is the reason why the book became as big as it is, because only about 50% of it um, is uh, recipes. The, the first part of the book really sets the context so that our listeners would appreciate um, what is it that, like, what's the big deal about the gut and real the science behind it. Because I believe that, you know, once we understand, for example, what's so good about, what's so important about having the right gut bacteria, then it makes us, you know, learn how to eat fermented foods or take care of do the elimination diet to really save um, the gut, right? So I really believe in empowering women with science and that's the first part of the book. So those are just real, just small talking points. There's a lot more in there. Just to, to, to your um, question about, for example, digestive health, whether it's your hormones or whether you have eczema, you've got constant headaches, I mean, you've got to take care of it. And um, the two things, so, so, so just to give you one of the points, the, the gut has got a... Um, the gut bacteria, specifically the microbiome, has got a subset of bacteria, right, called the estrobolum. And the estrobolum is something that codes for enzymes then to, to break down estrogens. And, you know, estrogen is kind of a complex hormone in the sense that it gets broken down to those in the body, in, in the liver, which we'll talk about in a second, um, it gets broken down to the good, the good estrogens and the bad estrogens. And the bad estrogens are the ones that are causing a lot of the symptoms such as fibrocystic breast and breast lumps and endometriosis and fibroids and thyroid nodules. It's all due to those bad estrogens. And so who would have thought, right, then that those are the bugs in your digestion, in your gut, in your small intestine that will code for those enzymes that break down estrogen the right way. I mean, we, we don't think of it that way. Um, not to mention the fact that, you know, 
when you are having a lot of digestive issues, and what I mean by that is like chronic constipation, being bloated, having acid reflux, having bad breath, you know, gas, right? Those are, you know, things that, like you mentioned, when you open the podcast, we get so used to feeling this way that we assume that it's normal. And I want to assure you that it is absolutely not acceptable to be, um, to be assuming that. Uh, so, you know, just on that point of the gut, it's, it's a huge point of creating inflammation in the body. So just by doing, for example, the elimination diet, getting rid of all the highly inflammatory foods like gluten, dairy, you know, egg, for some people could be eggs, soy, excessive amounts of sugar can bring the inflammation down so much that the whole body will rejoice. And you know, the way your hormones are then produced completely changes. If we talk about liver balance, liver detoxification, that's my you know, second favorite um, organ to work with is, uh, you know, it's just the fact that uh, the liver has seven detox- detoxification pathways. Those are pathways that take care of different toxins. And a lot of times, you know, we think that, well, the liver takes care of maybe alcohol, right? But there's actually a lot more. There's takes care of your caffeine, um, getting rid of caffeine, of bacteria, viruses, yeast, and hormones, interestingly enough, you know? And so, <clears throat> different pathways need different nutrients that, that will um, attach themselves and evacuate these toxins, including these metabolized hormones out of the body. Um, so that's, you know, that's the liver uh, part. Sugar balance is another one. You know, how many people in America eat a muffin and have a cup of coffee for breakfast, right? So many, and many of them, you know, are having a bowl of cereal, which I'm um, I'm really not a fan of. Um, and I will say, Robin, you know, I think sugar is an interesting one because when I first moved to the United States, I had never, one of the bigger shockers uh, was how much sugar people consume in the country and how many people have massive hypoglycemia at 11 o'clock or 3, 3 p.m. And then they head out to have something sugary to bring up their sugar, blood sugar level, right? Which is just you know, just adding fuel to the fire. So what's the big deal about blood sugar levels is that every time you get into the point of hypoglycemia, so that's like, you know, you're feeling shaky, unfocused, you you get in a really bad mood, you you know, you're just, you, you're just a rack when you're hungry, right? Uh, and you need sugar to pick up your sugar levels. That is, um, you know, you go to a state of hypoglycemia and unfortunately it is the function of the adrenals to bring up your blood sugar levels. And so, you know, as it is, we already, our adrenals already exhausted as the organ, as the, as the gland and that produce cortisol, your stress hormone. And, you know, we are so, there's, there's so many triggers, right. That we can have in life, whether it's kids or family or, um, you know, uh, financial issues or whatever is stressing you out, your trauma from the past can be hugely contributing. And then on top of that, you're exhausting the adrenals further by having these sugar spikes, uh, sugar drops, right? That exhaust us. So this is like a very much on that super high level, just a couple of examples. And there's a lot more. I would love to ask you about some of these very frustrating myths. They're myths, in my opinion, just as I dig deep on these different issues over the years, these myths that get sort of passed around the internet related to hormones. And they are related to foods that are clearly good foods, but there are lots of women who are scared of them because they've been told that if a food contains this particular anti-nutrient, that they shouldn't eat it if they have if they have a, a thyroid issue, for instance. And one of them I want to bring up and hear what you have to say about it is uh, 
brassica family, cabbage, mm-hmm. broccoli, all of those. There are so many women. I cannot even count how many times I've been asked or, or not even asked. Sometimes it's my thyroid practitioner told me not to eat, you know, um, cabbage or broccoli or, you know, broccoli sprouts because I have a, because I have suppressed thyroid because I have Hashimoto's. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. So that's a huge misconception. And, you know, anyone you ask, whether it's Dr. Isabella Wentz or Dr. Ellen Christensen or Dr. Karazian, who really are deep, deep thyroid experts and very well researched, will tell you that there isn't a single study that shows that cruciferous vegetables are going to kill your thyroid as, you know, as the myth goes. Um, I've also, you know, being in private practice for so long, I have never seen a single person who has gotten off cruciferous and uh, can say that they've reversed their thyroid issues or Hashimoto's. In fact, it's on the contrary. Um, the, the First of all, let me just say that the myth comes from the fact that um, there is such a Sub, there is a substance, right, it, and which can inhibit thyroid function, but it's it's not the cruciferous vegetables that contain it. It will be in the um, soy family of products, so things like soy milk, soy, you know, tofu, right, will in excessive amounts can to some degree inhibit the thyroid function. But you really got to eat a lot, like drink, you know, uh, a quart of soya milk every day, which most people don't do to really feel the difference. Now, cruciferous vegetables, on the other hand, um, are hugely beneficial. And I'll tell you what, you know how I talked about the, the liver, right? The health of the liver. It's really fascinating. The cruciferous, mm, that you know, the kales, the broccoli, broccoli sprouts and cauliflower and, and kale and collard greens and arugula, which is my personal favorite, watercress, are so amazing in terms of, first of all, they support the liver like crazy. They are huge detoxifiers of the liver. They also contain high amounts of sulfur, which is sulfur is one of the compounds that's needed for the liver to um, to attach sulfur to evacuate some of the toxins in that the pathway is called the sulfation pathway, in case you're curious. And so what's the big deal about that in the thyroid health? First of all, you know, what we produce in a thyroid is the T4 hormone and T4 then gets converted to T3 and T3 is the working horse, meaning that's really what we have receptors for in your hair and ability of converting fat to energy or, uh, you know, the quote, having beautiful, uh, healthy skin, having good mental functions. That's all due to that hormone called T3. Now, the conversion of T4 to T3 happens, guess where? In the gut and in the liver. So if you're depriving yourself of these cruciferous vegetables, then you are, you know, just basically depriving yourself of estrogen, uh, sorry, of, um, of the, of, of the uh, conversion ability. But furthermore, the other thing that just is what they're hugely beneficial for is that they contain a substance called DIM, the oligomethane. And some of, you know, some of our listeners might be taking a supplement like that called DIM, like D-I-M, to help their estrogen symptoms. Well, guess what? It's naturally occurring in these cruciferous. And the big deal about that is that they having sufficient amount of DIM um, helps with detoxifying estrogen. Because when you have too much estrogen, it drives up something, this protein called thyroid binding globulin. So you have too much of this protein that it will attach itself to the thyroid hormone, making less available for the body. So basically to shortcut the whole thing, if this is too complicated to to comprehend, and I know, I know a lot of thyroid patients are having, you know, having challenges with brain focus and a uh, focus and uh, brain fog. So just to make it really simple, 
that those cruciferous vegetables we're fearing so much is actually going to help you have more thyroid hormone available for your body to utilize period. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad you, um, I'm glad you said this because I feel like somebody went out there and said that if you eat crucifers, uh, and you've got goitrogens, which is a anti-nutrient in many of those foods, um, then you're going to have th- thyroid suppression. And then somebody else repeated it. And then 10 people repeated it mm-hmm. and a hundred people repeated it. But I, I literally cannot find any evidence. And it sounds like you and the sources that you quote, two of whom are good friends of mine as well, Dr. Alan Christensen and Dr. Isabella Wentz uh, are having the same experience. Cause I have actually not discussed that with either one of them that, you know, and what I've always said to people is it doesn't, it doesn't actually make any sense to me because there are, you know, if goitrogens, uh, you know, interfere. And, and of course there are anti-nutrients in virtually every good for you whole food out there. Um, there's dozens of nutritional compounds in, Mm -hmm. in those foods, dozens that are known to support thyroid function. So, so I'm glad you, you put a fine point on that. Let's talk about another one. Uh, so many people say, Oh, I stay away from flax. I stay away from Mm flaxseed because it's estrogenic and I'm estrogen dominant. Talk about that one. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Robin, why don't I mention estrogen dominance symptoms first so that our listeners can. Yeah, because you had, you had been diagnosed with estrogen dominance and I believe that you eat flaxseed. So talk about that for sure. Yeah. So, you know, if you're experiencing just very quickly, things like PMS, um, infertility, irregular periods, lack of periods, uh, a lot of uh, cellulite around your thighs, um, but uh, you know, butt fat, hip fat, right? This wouldn't want to butt and go away no matter how much you exercise. But also more serious stuff like thyroid nodules, breast lumps, fibrocystic breast, uh, estrogen receptor positive breast cancers, fibroids, endometriosis, right? I mean, those, especially the later ones, those are all serious conditions. And guess what? It's all due to this condition called estrogen dominance that Robin is talking about. And so interestingly, the... The problem with estrogen dominance is that it's not that you have too much estrogen, is you got too much of estrogen metabolites. And this goes back to the idea of how the estrogens get broken down. Uh, that's one possibility. The other possibility is that you've got too much of some of that estrogen as compared to progesterone. That's the second uh, scenario. Many people have both things happening. So let's talk about the first one. How, how your body breaks down those estrogens to metabolites will be um, hugely dictated by like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the estrobolum, so the gut bacteria you have, so bring on the probiotics or fermented foods, right? But on the other hand is also how effective is your liver. And the beauty of flaxseed is that it's got so many different properties to help us with the way that these estrogens get broken down. It, first of all, you know, it's full of fiber, so it helps with pooping, uh, um, getting rid of um, estrogen, estrogens and all the hormones um, just by evacuation. That's a big one, an important one. Um, you cannot have, you know, be constipated and experience good hormonal balance. It just doesn't exist. But more importantly, you know, flaxseed, when it's freshly ground, um, it activates those lignans that are in there that are, they have the property of really blocking um, estrogen receptors. So basically what they do is they attach themselves to the receptor in the in the cell um, that will otherwise receive that estrogen. And, and I'm talking about malignant tissue here. So basically uh, your flaxseed will stop the growth of malignant tissue such as 
fibroids, endometriosis, uh, fibrocystic breast, et cetera, all the symptoms I talked about. Um, furthermore, it also helps the liver to detoxify us from estrogen. So how the estrogen is broken down to the good guys and the bad guys, flaxseed can steer the balance towards the protective estrogens, the good estrogens and not the bad ones. You know, so, so fiber, liver support and blocks estrogen, the bad ones from coming through. So really, I mean, this is an absolute fantastic superfood. And guess what? Like to your point about myth, that's one of the foods that thyroid patients as well are so scared of, right? They're told that this is, um, this is another goitrogenic um, food, just the biggest nonsense, biggest nonsense. Like I cannot tell you how many women I've worked with who had thyroid nodules. And just by doing these two tablespoons of freshly ground flaxseed a day, you don't want to cook it. You want to have it raw. Um, has taken the, the the nodules away within two months. The, the nodules are completely gone. So, yeah. So that's. Uh, thank you for asking this one. This is a big one. Yeah, it's a really important one, and so many people, for the, all the wrong reasons, are avoiding this really powerful food. And and Magdalena mentioned that they're that it's full of fiber. It's full of both. Uh, both kinds of fiber. And one of the things that the soluble fiber is doing is mopping up all those bad estrogens. So once again, your, your research is totally spot on. And I'm really glad to hear you advocate for this really, really helpful food that does not lead to breast cancer, which I keep hearing from people. So what would you say are, what, what are some superfoods that someone on any end of the hormone spectrum, if they're feeling imbalanced, what are some superfoods that any of us can use that'll help us get balanced, whether we're, you know, still menstruating, whether we are perimenopause, whether we are menopausal superfoods. Yeah. So, you know what, I, um, I've got a list here and I'm going to read it out to you and you help me pick whichever one you want me to dive into. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So we covered flaxseed and cruciferous vegetables. I also have uh, broccoli sprouts, pomegranates, livers, uh, bone broths or vegetable broths. We can talk about that. Um, I also have power herbs such as cacao, dandelion leaf and dandelion root, maca, matcha, medicinal mushrooms like reishi and cordyceps, um, astragalus, talsi, uh, talsi as, a, as an herb. Anything stands out, Robin? Uh, no, those are, those sound great. And can we put them in our green smoothie? <laughs> All of them. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. I um, I saw I saw an infographic you have. It's incredible. Um talk to us about seeds, you know, like sunflower seeds. You've talked a little about flax seeds, uh different seeds we might eat and what they have to do with rebalancing our hormones. Yeah, so it's called the seed rotation method and it's a really simple way of rebalancing your estrogen and progesterone levels. And this really applies to women who are still menstruating or going through the crazy time called perimenopause, or if you're going through menopause currently, it's everyone's going to benefit from this method. It's really simple. Um, if you're still menstruating, day one of your period is also day one of the seed, of seed cycling. So from day one to day 14, uh, assuming that you know, your cycle is 28 days, uh, then you just cut it in half, right? So let's just say from day one to day 14, you do seeds to boost your estrogen levels. And, you know, basically you start off with uh, flaxseed and pumpkin seeds, one tablespoon ground each. Don't cook them because the, you want the lignans to be fully uh, phytoavailable. And um, putting that in your smoothies, 
uh, putting that on top of uh, salad, you know, or just adding like sprinkling on top of a soup, whatever, or just even a glass of water. Like I just have a glass of water in case I'm tra- when I'm traveling. Or, and so <clears throat> that's that. And that's that's going to really help you build up your estrogens, including the good estrogens. And, um, and then after day 15 to day 28, you want to do seeds that promote progesterone production. And that will be a tablespoon ground to each of sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. Um, and so there is no progesterone in, found in, in any food, but what you can do is we can help the body to produce its own progesterone by giving it the good supplies of zinc and vitamin E, which is exactly what sunflower seeds and sesame seeds do. And if this is complicated, you're driving right now, just get the guide when you when you stop um the robin is giving you know we're giving away right and that gives you the chart and shows you the recipes as well what to do with the seeds but basically that's the principle of it and i will say robin you know when i first was told about this method and and i when i was told that this is a really good one for like women who are having um, no periods or very regular periods and i thought how is seeds how are these seeds going to help someone who's got a really serious problem right and um you know and it and it really started helping like when i when i was in practice and i started using it about 7 years ago and one woman after another started coming back and saying oh my god i can't believe it just some women as quickly as within a month will feel the benefits and others uh within two sometimes three months will be needed to to really feel it and Hot flashes, I know it's something that a lot of women suffer from, night sweats. You know, it's just like nothing worse waking up in a bed of sweat um, and having to change the bed sheets or the hot flash. You just never know when it's going to hit you, right? Um, you know, or having cellulite, like doing a downward dog and then looking at your thighs and it's got like this, you know, just this cellulite. You go like, I did not have this last year. Like what's going on here? And, and so the seed rotation is a really powerful tool to reverse and manage all these conditions. Robin, I will say that there is, you know, with flaxseed, we call it a paradoxical food that I see that 5% of women who try it do have a, 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 a different reaction to what we are expecting it to have, right? And so I really want to urge our listeners to tune into your body and when you do, especially the estrogenic um, parts, the flaxseed and the pumpkin seeds, if you if you feel like your breasts are becoming more tender, or your PMS has actually gotten worse, then you're going to stop it. And there's in my cookbook, there's a lot of other tools you can bring in to manage your estrogen. That's not the only one. This is just one of the many tools that I teach. But, you know, that's like with a lot of foods, right? And I mean, you know this, Robin, like, you know, we, 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 when we met, I saw, I had a problem with oxalates, right? And so all these super healthy foods like cacao and, you know, nuts and seeds and grains, and I couldn't eat them because I had a problem with, with, with these foods. There was something going on with my gut and I was sensitive. So the point is that, you know, even a healthy food can be um, having a different reaction to you. So just really tune into your body and see. But from what I have experienced, 95% of women really benefit from uh, seed rotation. Yeah. And we always have to mention when we're talking about anything, you know, we can't speak categorically about what a specific food will do for a specific person because we are all individuals and I have my own specific reactions. I was just saying that I don't want to drink any coffee after a meal. I won't even feel the buzz from it. And I don't really like coffee. I just like the uh, buzz occasionally. And that's just being an example of how this may or may not apply to you, but these are some principles to learn about and still super valuable. But 
Um, maybe for someone who has an estrogen dominant breast cancer, or depending on the meds that you're taking, there's, there's possibility that flax isn't appropriate for everybody, but I do like busting the myths that just get recirculated on the internet. Cause there's far too many of these, uh, these strange dogmas that get repeated and repeated and people with oxalate issues are a significant, but small minority of people who have to stay away from greens on our cooking show that you and I did earlier today. You said you, you stay away from spinach. You said, cause it's overdone and boring, but my guess is probably also from your days of avoiding oxalates, right? Absolutely. And you know, I'm um, speaking of, of which, I mean, anything, that I feel like we were not born with and we grow into developing some kind of a sensitivity. It's not the food that needs to be blamed. It's really the, you know, it's the the question I think to ask is what is it that my body is missing or not doing right? What support do I need to help to break down these foods? Like for example, oxalates in this case and evacuate them rather than let them store in my body and causing this horrendous pain that I was experiencing, right? In my case, but you know, so, so it's, yeah, so you're right that I think I have a little bit of trauma left from the whole spinach because it's so high in oxalates and so is cacao. Um, but, you know, ever since I repaired my, I, I was basically diagnosed with SIBO, which is stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's a bit nasty bugs and H. pylori. And, and ever since I cleared that, I can eat high oxalate foods again uh, with no problems whatsoever. And I don't have the symptoms that I had before. Okay. So that is a really great life lesson and really helpful for, for anyone who's having some kind of food reactivity issues that we, we do heal. And when we heal our gut, which Magdalena has gone to the work of doing, um, we can turn those things around and not be reactive to foods that we were a year ago or a month ago. So you can also go get a free first chapter and get started. You can make some of her, she's giving you six of her recipes to get started with and video demos of them. So again, you can get either one of those resources um, or point to, we will point to the book on pre-order and she probably has some bonuses that come with it. We'll round all that up. So take a look. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about women in perimenopause and menopause. What are a few tips that will help them with symptoms because a lot of our audience is like 45 and older. You're, you're 45. I'm 51. We're super intrigued in how we can manage perimenopause and menopause. What do you know? Yeah. Awesome. That's a really, I think this is also the time where women really begin to take care of themselves. So perimenopause, I want to, you know, first of all, there is no normal when you go through perimenopause, there is no, um, there is really no reason uh, for you to be angry or surprised or thinking, what am I doing wrong? That now my period is like coming back every 16 days and it's two days since, you know, it used to be 30 days and be five days long and everything is changing. The name of the game with perimenopause, there is no normal. What we can mitigate though is how, how severe the symptoms are. And, you know, Robin, I actually hit perimenopause like about three months ago. I'm beginning to like really see it coming on. As in like, you know, my periods, like the duration is getting significantly shorter and uh, the cycles are way shorter now as well. Uh, and so what we can do to support ourselves is to really um, d- d- make some dietary changes when I'll talk about in a second so that you are not as symptomatic, they are not as erratic, you're not PMSing as badly, right? But it's perfectly normal to be going through the change. And then hitting menopause, you know, one of the biggest things is obviously hot flashes. So the one 
big thing that really supports both perimenopause and menopause is blood sugar control. And, you know, if you are one of those um, people who start off your breakfast with a bowl of cereals and, you know, or a smoothie that's like packed with sugar, right? Like mangoes and bananas and dates and, you know, this, I'm sorry to say, but even if it's from natural sugars, it's all, it can be a sugar bomb. You know, it's, I mean, it's something like a, a tropical fruit kind of a smoothie can contain as many as 12 to 15 teaspoons of sugar just at hello in the morning. And when you, when you do that first thing in the morning, you're basically setting up yourself for a disaster because three hours later, or some, for some women even shorter than that, you're going to, your sugar, blood sugar levels are going to drop so drastically that you're going to go into a place of hypoglycemia. And for a lot of women, that will translate to hot flashes. So hot flashes oftentimes happen because your blood sugar levels drops and coffee can be a big contributor as well. Any, you know, any sugar balance is also largely dictated by um, how inflamed you are, right? So I have seen incredible improvements, Robin, when, uh, when, when, when I work with women who struggle with a perimenopausal menopausal symptoms is to really contain the blood sugar levels and do an anti-inflammatory diet. And so a big part of my cookbook is describing how to do the elimination diet. Every, there's many different types out there, but you know, I think the point is to um, to take out those well-known inflammatory foods like gluten, dairy, soy, corn. Um, my cookbook is free of eggs because I find that 50% of uh, people react to eggs um, and the other 50 don't. And so you kind of have to figure out um, and I teach that in the book, how to do that, to reintroduce them the foods and decide if eggs are for you or not, you know, and the minimal amount of sugar and just that kind of um, anti-inflammatory response is going to, is going to help with the symptoms tremendously. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that, you know, supporting your liver when you're going through this and just making it easier for the liver to get rid of those metabolized um, hormones that I talked about that can be super harmful is going to help tremendously with the symptoms because you're going to remember that the symptoms a lot of the time happen because of these bad estrogens, right? Because of these, because there's not enough progesterone, right? That you're producing. And so just doing that, um, huge, huge relief. And, you know, Robin, I know there's a lot of women who go like, yeah, but you know, I I can take black cohosh, right? I mean, my, you know, whatever practitioner told me, I read that I can do black cohosh or maca or, you know, whatever, right? Uh, for my hot flashes. And that, but the thing is that to me, that's a replacing one pill with another. You know, like we we it's a pill popping. I think we are pill popping, and it's not our fault. I mean, we've been in condition for years, I think probably by, you know, the culturally and pharmaceutical companies, we've been trained that there is a pill for everything, right? We can't sleep with to pop a pill. We we don't want to get pregnant, we pop a pill, right? We don't want to have a hot flash, we we pop a pill. And so a lot of people, I feel like, substitute Rx's, you know, prescription medication with another supplement or another herb without really addressing the root cause of the whole thing. So think of it as a little bit like, you know, if you have a leaking roof, right, and you start having um, a massive leak in the corner of your house in your room, I mean, what would you do? Would you put, put on slap on some paint in that room or would you call a roof expert and get it repaired, right? So to me, like for example, taking a black cohosh alone, it's slapping that paint over that mold that's accumulating in the, you know, instead of fixing the leak. 
um, versus doing the elimination diet, rebalancing your blood sugar levels, that's going to be really the foundation. That's going to be a refixing, so to speak, that you take care of not just hot flashes, but a lot of other symptoms stop going away, including that stubborn fat around the belly, which most women in menopause beginning to experience, right? Um, forgetfulness, um, mood swings, right? Just incredible changes start happening when, when we do that. So really do that liver support, uh, go an anti-inflammatory diet. I know you teach a lot of that. Um, and, um, and you, you know, you're going to really feel so much better. Will you talk a little bit about your hormone imbalance story and what has you now in ideal health where a month ago you, you know, you were off skiing. Was it longer than a month ago? You literally had double hip replacement due to birth injuries and you are a walking miracle. And I think it has everything to do with the way that you're living and the things that you teach in your book, but talk a little about your whole story and what put your Hashimoto's into remission. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times we tell a story from the time we were diagnosed, right? So like you mentioned Hashimoto's, I was diagnosed within 2008, but you know, Robin, my story started so much earlier than that, right? Born in 1973, my mom uh, believed uh, that uh, she was just so, sold the story that uh, powdered milk was more nutritious than her own milk. And so she never breastfed me. And as a, you know, one month old, I already ended up in a hospital with pneumonia. Um, ever since, you know, I don't remember much as a child, but I do remember one of my earliest memories was to be taken to a hospital for ear drainage because I had constant sinus and ear infections and so much pus they had to basically use a tube to get rid of it. And all of that was, as I later found out, um, it was due to food sensitivities, right? And, you know, growing up in a traditional Western family, we were obviously eating a lot of gluten and dairy and eggs, which now today I know I have um, a big sensitivity to, even though today I can eat them actually and not react anymore, but I don't because, you know, I don't want to trigger anything. Um, and then later, you know, these food sensitivities um, converted to, uh, to other, which oftentimes they, they evolve in, in my early 20s. It was cystic acne. Um, you know, Robin, I was covered with pimples, like deep. I mean, cystic acne is not just a pimple. It's like, it's a volcano. It's on your face, right? And on the sides of my face, on my front, on my chest, on my back. I never owned a shirt with an open top or front because... Uh, because I was just so embarrassed and you can't, cannot cover this with makeup face to some degree. Yes, but not your back and, you know, constant headaches, terrible PMSs, always a lot of water retention, migraines. Like I never, I couldn't leave the house without having Tylenol in my bag and, um, and always bloated. You know, I still remember like having a bowl of pasta or having a, like a traditional latte and feeling like looking like a three month pregnant woman. The epiphany for me came when I saw by accident an article on at that time Yahoo that said, why is it that um, Aborigines, not Aborigines, it was uh, Papua New Guinea children and uh, teenagers do not have pimples. And I thought, holy moly, like they don't have pimples. I thought we were told that it's normal to have pimples when you're going through, you know, when you were 16 years old. And here I was 24 and covered still. And um and the article said that's because they don't eat processed foods and gluten. I thought, huh, what is that? So long story short, you know, I started looking into food and my acne has significantly improved. But what I think um, triggered Hashimoto's all these 10 years later was, was the combination of stress, 
a lot of traveling. I was in a regional job, as you mentioned, advertising, working on iconic brands. But it, I think it was also, you know, the job really validated how good I was. But I was in a different country every week. And I was the girl who was taking the flight on Sunday night to be ready for Monday meeting, working on my slides and working out of hotel rooms and eating crappy, you know, airplane airplane uh, uh, and hotel food, right? So it was that combination and, you know, living in China, super toxic place um, that I think contributed that stress, lack of sleep. I used to be a smoker, also over-exercising. So I was a semi-professional athlete, had my own team. And so in order to train, I'll get up at five o'clock in the morning and hit the gym before I go to work and then, you know, come home at um, nine o'clock most of the time. When you work in advertising, it's like for those of you who've watched Mad Men, it's it's a very precise uh, um, um, you know, description of what the industry looks like. So I think you know, all of that, the whole combination of that and just not eating a very good food, lack of sleep, um, has really triggered Hashimoto's. It was like a perfect storm. But it was also a very awakening moment. And in a sense that I didn't know what was, how I was going to reverse it. Um, but I knew that intuitively I knew that I had to either quit my job or do something to get better because what I was doing was, was killing me. And you know, Robin, back then in 2008, there was only one book about thyroid. <laughs> so I got an express shipped to Shanghai where I was living. And uh, it said, all it said was I have to stop eating soy and bok choy. That's all, that's all there was, you know, and the rest of it was that I started, once I understood I had autoimmunity, it wasn't a thyroid problem. It was an autoimmune problem. I started digging deeper and you know, discovered all the all the the rest of it that I teach today, doing anti-inflammatory diet and how to avoid these different foods, rebuild your digestion, support your liver, getting enough sleep, detoxify, which is, is a big part of what you do, you know, all of that. And and fast forward today, um, and, and definitely the estrogen dominance, adrenal fatigue along the way. And fast forward today, you know, as a 45-year-old woman, I feel better than I felt when I was 25. And, and as you said, you know, even like with my doctor with a double hip replacement, which by the way, it was not a, it was not my choice. It was, I fought it for three years and I gave up that fight because I had too much damage in the hips. It's basically was a, it was a inherited thing and plus an accident at, uh, at birth, and, you know, and he calls me a miracle patient. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I wish that you had told more patients how to prepare and you know, and recover from a surgery because when you really have an anti-inflammatory diet and a highly densely um, dense nutrient dense, dense nutrition, right, in your life and good sleep and, you know, you're supported by a community, just incredible things can happen. Oh, that is so hopeful. And I appreciate you sharing your story. I know it's been a long, a long, long process. And I think everything has come together in your book to share the very best bits that you've learned. So Magdalena's book coming out April 10th, 2018 is called Cooking for Hormone Balance. And thanks so much for being with us, Magdalena. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much, Robin. 